Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. So glad to have this opportunity to preach a, a unique message. It's entitled, Letting God Write the Script. Letting God Write the Script. And I have a, a little bit of a, a penchant for, uh, um, for theater. Um, in high school, I was a, a bit of a drama nerd. Uh, you might even call me a drama queen. I mean, don't call me a drama queen, please. But, uh, but I was a drama nerd. I was into uh, to Shakespearean theater. I, uh, I acted in many Shakespearean plays starting in junior high, and I just loved it. Um, it's something I enjoyed. Um, don't, I, play, I played football, too. All right, so I just want to make clear that I, I'm a man, I'm tough, right? And I did Shakespearean theater as well, all right? And, uh, but, but it's something I enjoyed. And the, the three, uh, there's three basic elements uh, to a good drama, to a good theater um, that, that, we, that need to come together to, to make it good, to make it effective. And those three elements include, uh, well, they are the, the script, the director, and the actors. Now, my opinion, the most important part of that is the script. And I know that the, the ones that get our attention are the actors. And you could think of movies or TV shows or what have you. And, and you could probably name directors that have won awards and, and they can put together a, a, a movie or TV show or play and, and they, can, uh, they, they can set up blocking just right, which is stave, stage movements and, and, and bring out the most in their actors and certainly those are very, very important, but the script is so important. There's only so much that good actors and a good director can do with a bad script. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where, um, where you try to, even uh, in the movie industry, so to speak, that um, it's very... Um, it could be a, a telling time when you're trying to get a big name actor, an A-lister, and uh, you show them parts of the script, and many actors will reject the job no matter how much because they don't want to be made to look bad. As talented as they are, there's only so much a good actor or good director can do with the script. You understand God is writing out, continually writing out the script of our lives, so to speak, right? And we all wish that we can see from here today to the very end and know exactly what's coming, right? Because uh, just like in a good story, there are twists and turns, there are unexpected surprises, there are tragedies, and sometimes there's comedy, right? And we appreciate those times. Sometimes there's a comedy of errors, right? And we wish that we can see right through everything, right? But if we were able to, then there would be no need for us to walk by faith. And the Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please Him. And so right now, for example, think of it, if we were, I mean, so we're here in Orange County, and let's say I wanted to, for whatever reason, wanted to get to downtown Los Angeles. And actually, my wife and I, we love downtown Los Angeles. We love urban areas. We, we call it urban hiking when we're going through a, a place like that. We love food, and we love exploring food and different historical things. But, uh, but uh, um, depending on where you are, you might be able to see downtown Los Angeles, see the skyscrapers, right? And uh, let's say maybe you're even going at, at night, right? Now, nobody is going to freak out because they can't see exactly the direction they're going. They can't know, um, they, they can't see the exact roads, but they know the direction and they have dir directions to get there, right? And, and it's no problem. What you do at night is you follow your headlights and your headlights don't show you all the way to downtown LA, whatever 40, 45 miles that is, but it shows you a few hundred feet down the road, just enough to go ahead and make your way safely there. And then you get to that hundred feet or whatever it is, and then you can see another hundred feet down the road. And so there's still an element of faith that God gives us as we're walking down this road, but he knows us. He knows that we need to see at least a little bit down the road, right? And when you think about it, when you think about life, God gives us just enough to make us a little bit comfortable, right? But still, 
with some elements of faith, not knowing exactly what's going to happen tomorrow or what's going to happen next week or what's going to happen next year. But he's given us, given us enough for today, right? To get through today, to get through the night. And while we're on this journey, this script is constantly being written. And if you're a child of God, it could be a crazy story, but we can know in the end, it's a beautiful story, right? We can know that because he's a good God. And even though there's parts of the story that we wish that we can skip, right? They're really important parts of the story because there's very specific things that God wants to do with us and it's all interwoven in this script that God has written for us. In Esther chapter 4, would you, would you start there with me? In Esther chapter 4, I'd just like to read a couple of verses to set up. And then we're going to survey, survey this book um, quickly. And I know that's a relative term, but I, I'm aware of the time here. And we're going to survey the book. And then we'll, we'll tell you our story a little bit and make application hope to be a blessing to you in that way. Uh, Esther chapter 4, verse number 13, which is incredible words here spoken. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed, and who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Such a time as this. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we need you. Just pray, God, that you do a work and, and help us, Lord, to understand this incredible story uh, in a way that will that we'll be able to apply uh, to our lives and uh, just give us hope and peace through the, the uncertainty and the confusing times of life. Lord, we need you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you go back to chapter 2? And if you've been in church for any time, more than likely you know this story. If you've raised young children, you know the story from Veggie Tales, right? And uh, and you understand how uh, not that you not that you should get your uh, theology from Veggie Tales, but it sure does make it a little bit interesting, right? And uh, and and right now, if you're like me, I had four children, and so I'm right now as I'm, I'm thinking about this uh, um, this uh, uh, this story, I'm just ruined for life, and I'm seeing grapes and asparagus and tomatoes and a cucumber and all those things, right? And so you know uh, you know the the story of Esther. It's it's an amazing story. But it starts off, this script, so to speak, I mean, really, there, this, this story has all the elements of, of, of a great theater, uh, a great play, uh, of, of a great movie. It has elements of a soap opera. It has, and I, I just said it was great, and I said it's soap opera. But I mean, it has, it has some romance. It has comedy. It's, it's part thriller, and it's part mystery, and it all, all these different elements to it. It's, it's really complex. There's a, there's a twist somewhere in the beginning, and there's a, there's a climax and a dip and different things and it it, it finishes um, strong and really finishes in an unexpected way it really is Hollywood couldn't do a better job of constructing an incredible story such as this and so more than likely you know about Esther and her uncle Mordecai ending up in this land literally as the spoils of war they're brought to this land captive it's not a good start for Esther and Mordecai. Would you look at chapter 2, verses number 5? The Bible says there, Now in Shushan the palace, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jer, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captivity which had been carried away with Jeconiah. He's basically, he was a prisoner of war and brought to this land, not on his own, not by his own decision, but was brought there as a prisoner. Um, continue on there. And the 
Verse number seven, and he brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother, and the maid was fair and beautiful. Okay, so we have Mordecai. We know for sure that he wasn't brought here by his own decision. He was, he was a captive. He was a prisoner. And then his, his niece, Esther, was an orphan. And so he took care of her from, from when she was a young child. I mean, the setup here is a really sad setup. It's deep. It's a little bit dark. It could be a little bit depressing. But the first thing about this script, number one, that I'd just like to show you just some some main points about this story, is they were set up to climb. There's a setup to climb. Nobody likes being in a pit, right? Nobody likes being in the pit. The nice thing about being a pit, though, there's only one direction to go, right? Right? It's no fun in the, in, the, in the pit. It's scary in the pit. It's, it's, it's uncomfortable in the pit. We don't like being there. But there's, there can be an excitement understanding, you know what, I'm down here, I'm at the bottom, and there's only one direction I can go, and that's up. But you can make the choice to stay down there as well. Right? Hey, sometimes we, we've been in those situations in life where, hey, I'm down here, might as well, it's, I'm, I'm comfortable, I've been here long enough, might as well stay down here. No, folks, don't stay down there. You know, there's no, honestly, there's, there's no shame in being knocked down by life, right? The Bible says a, a just man falleth seven times when he riseth again, all right? So you fall, you get back up, fall, get back up. The shame isn't in falling or getting knocked down. The shame is if you stay down there. And so we have this beginning of a story that, hey, we wouldn't want to write it that way. We wouldn't choose it that way. None of us would say, hey, yes, I'd like to be a prisoner of war and be taken from my homeland and being dropped in this foreign land here. Nobody says that. Nobody would say, hey, I want to, want to be orphaned and, and be without that. That's, obviously, God can work in and through those things, but they're far from the ideals. And, and I think it would be a rare person that would choose that script for their lives but God is in all these details, and we could look at it, man, that's a bad place to be down there. Well, yeah, in one sense, on a human level, but if we consider God's plan, they're just being set up to climb. They're being set up to ascend. There's only one direction to go, folks, and if you feel like in those seasons where, man, you're hit rock bottom, at least take comfort in this, only one direction to go is that direction. It's up, and it's towards God. It's towards Jesus. Don't stay down there they were set up to climb. Look at verse number seven. And he brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, the uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother, and the maid was fair and beautiful. So the next uh, um, item of note in the story is that we see natural beauty being used of God. All right, in chapter one, we see that uh, the king of Persia had a queen named Vashti. He threw a, he threw a big old party. There's drinking, and, and, and the Bible says some stuff about that, and we see it played out, and he makes some really bad decisions, and he wants to show off his wife, and after a few drinks, it says, hey, wife, come on out here, and the veggie tells it says, wife, make me a sandwich. Oh, man, I like that, but, that, but that's not how it is scriptural, scriptural right? It says, my wife, make me a sandwich. And, the, and Queen Vashti says, make your own sandwich. Well, in the Bible, right, it doesn't quite go that way. He wants to show, he, has, he wants, to, wants a wifey to put on a, a beauty pageant for all the drunk friends. He says, hey, Vashti, come on over here and just walk back and forth and, and, uh, and let my friends gawk at you. What a jerk face, right? What in the world? Don't drink, folks. That's, you, you'll do dumb things like that, all right? And so she, she's not having any of it. And so she's banished, she's fired. All of a sudden, there's this opening for queen, right? And here, this, is a speci- this mission is specifically for the pretty girls, right? It's just the truth, right? This is a mission for the pretty girls. There's an opening for queen, and it just so it turns out that, hey, Esther's blessed with natural beauty, and God uses natural beauty. And, and no doubt that we make much of, and there's nothing wrong. Obviously, it, it's a blessing and encouragement to me that God uses the base things of this world. Amen? God uses the foolish things of this world. Yes, sir. Yes, he does. But also, God uses natural beauty as well. 
And he's blessed us just with, with nature, just the natural beauty we see in nature. And there's, there's healing properties just in nature and standing in standing awe of God's, of God's nature. The Bible tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God and it's that kind of beauty that God uses. And so even on this human level, hey, there's beautiful, attractive, in a sense, markers that, um, uh, that God has set in the church and, and different things where we, where we talked about a little bit this morning and we see it exhibited uh, in the church and in a worship service when we're able to enjoy the beauty of music and the, and the wonderful talents of, the, of a piano player or a guitarist or a bass player or different things. And, and then, of course, vocalists, as God blesses some people vocally and are able to use that talent. And, and it's those kinds of beautiful things that God uses. God uses natural beauty. And look at this. When she ends up, she wins this job as queen but now she's more than likely in some danger, right? And Mordecai has some concerns, but it turns out that we see next here some strategic placement. Strategic placement. And this is God's doing. Look at verse number 11. So Esther ends up as queen, ends up in the palace. Verse 11 says this, And Mordecai walked every day before the court of the women's house to know how Esther did and what should become of her. So Mordecai, he had a job in the palace. We don't know what it was, but he was there. And so here's God providing in advance for him to be able to keep tabs on his niece, to be able to see how she's doing. He's already working there in the palace and is able to know how Esther is doing. This is God strategically placing Mordecai there for a very important job. And it turns out to be something even bigger. Would you look at verse number 21? Look at verse number 21. In those days, while Mordecai sat in the king's gate, two of the king's chamberlains, Bigthan and Teresh, are the two of the king's uh, um, uh, bodyguards, right? the secret service. And those are good names for bodyguards, right? Bigthan and Teresh, right? They already sound tough, right? And so these two guys, these two chamberlains, these two bodyguards of secret service of the king's, all of a sudden, they have some. They, they come up with this conspiracy, conspiracy to which they want to assassinate the king. Would you look at verse number uh, twenty-two? And the and the thing was known to Mordecai because of his strategic placement, who told it unto Esther the queen, and Esther certified the king there thereof in Mordecai's name. And when inquisition was made of the matter, it was found out. Therefore, they were both hanged on a tree. And it was written in the book of the Chronicles before the king. And so this strategic placement of Mordecai in the palace allows him to keep tabs on Esther, but also allows him to unearth this conspiracy, get it to Esther. And so now it's recorded in, their, in, in the Chronicles so that nobody would forget, right, the great deed that Mordecai did. But guess what? The king forgot, right? And then the wrong guy got promoted. Next chapter, in chapter 3, there's a guy named Haman. And he's a bad guy. Mordecai did this great thing. He doesn't get promoted, right? And all of a sudden, Haman, Haman this evil man, gets promoted. Farther along, we'll know all about it, right? The song says, we look around and, and there are people going through their days not living for God, not doing anything for Jesus, and it seems like they're getting blessed. And here we are as the people of God, just kind of grinding away, keep just trying to stay above water, and we're doing our best, we're living for God. And here are the other people out there that seems like they're getting blessed and they're flourishing all those things, right? Sometimes things aren't fair. The wrong guy got promoted, wrong in quotes, actually. Just as Mordecai and Esther were set up to climb, Haman was set up to fall. He was set up to fall. And don't always look at the wrong person, so to speak, getting that promotion. Maybe it's a promotion, it's a place that you don't want to be, which is a place to fall, right? And so we see this strategic placement, but then there's an expected resistance as we get to chapter 3, and look at verse number 8. So Haman got promoted, Turns out Haman hates the Jews. Look at verse number 8 of chapter number 3. The Bible says this, And Haman said unto King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom, and their laws are diverse from all people. Neither keep they, keep they the king's laws, therefore it is not for the king's profit to suffer them. If it please the king, 
Let it be written that they may be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver to, to the hands of those that have the charge of the business to bring it into the king's treasury. So all of a sudden, Haman comes up with this plan to exterminate the Jews. You know, when Esther first became queen, he advised, Mordecai advised his niece not to let anybody know that she was a Jew just yet. Why? Because he knew that there might be something coming. It turns out there was. So here we have an expected resistance. Hey, things are just kind of cascading on Mordecai, right? He did something great. The wrong guy gets promoted. And all of a sudden, this guy that gets promoted comes up with his plan, has the king's ear, comes up with this plan to exterminate his people. This is expected resistance, folks. Just understand, expect it. There's going to be times when there is a resistance to our walk with God. There will be times where it seems like all the forces of, of this world are pushing against us as we're trying to go forward for Christ. There will be resistance in this life. And then we see, really important, a step of faith, step of faith, chapter four. Chapter four, there's a step of faith. And so there turns out to be there is someone who can do something about this deep in the palace, and it's Esther. And Mordecai encourages Esther to do something. He's, she's got to say something to the king, right? But she fears for her life, understandably so. She's young, this is a dangerous thing. But Mordecai, as we read in the beginning, chapter 4, verse number 13. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Esther, it's time to step up. All these things that we've been through, being taken captive from our homeland and being placed here, you becoming an orphan and, and then coming under my care, Vashti being a relinquished of her duties of queen, God blessing you with natural beauty, and God placing you as queen, all these things, the, every step of the story, every detail of the script, Esther, can't you see? God has done this for such a time as this. She's scared, and she says, get everybody to pray. It's a good step, right? You know, sometimes those first steps of faith, here's the truth, because we're human, they're steps of fear, aren't they? They are. The key is to not allow fear to control us, right? Sometimes we fear, but we take those steps of faith anyway. And so we say, he, she's afraid, and she says, get everybody to pray. Get everybody to fast. And so she takes that step of faith. She goes into the king's um, inner court there. The king holds out to the scepter to her and says, what would you like? He says, I, mean, I just want to have a banquet for you and Haman. And so they set up the banquet, and Esther's about to drop a bomb. But before that happens, we see some divine intervention in chapter 6, verse number 1, which simply says that God sent some insomnia to the king. Is the divine intervention. It could be divine insomnia as well, right? He couldn't sleep. And here we have a biblical answer to insomnia. Read the Chronicles. Amen? That's what it says. It's about, I can't sleep. Someone bring me the Chronicles. All right? And, uh, and, and I know that you'll probably feel guilty about that. It says, man, I need something to put me to sleep. I'm going to read the Scriptures. All right? But, uh, um, but that's what it is. He started reading. He started reading the Chronicles. He just started going to detail every detail. And then all of a sudden, recorded right there, something he forgot. Mordecai uncovered a conspiracy and said, wait a minute, did we ever honor Mordecai? And so he calls out, Haman happens to be there. Haman is getting his gallows ready, getting ready to exterminate Jews, especially Mordecai, right? Really hates Mordecai. And then the king says, hey, Haman, I just need you. There's, there's this guy that I really want to honor. He's really special. And Haman thinks it's him. It's like, oh, well, king, this guy must be really special, right? Says, yeah, yeah, he's really special. Oh, man, he must be. Is he handsome, too? He's really handsome as well. Oh, man, yeah, he must be strong, right? Haman is just loving. He thinks, he thinks this is for him, right? And then so Haman comes up with this 
incredible plan to honor the person. He thinks it's him. He says, give them the, the best clothes and give them the, the king's horse and have one of the most noble princes ride them along town so everybody can see and proclaim, here, this is well, how the king wants to treat the person that, that he wants to honor. And the king says, that is great, perfect, I love that. Now do that for Mordecai. Oh man, Haman was mad, Right? He hates Mordecai, and all of a sudden, he's thinking that he's going to have all, he's setting himself up for this wonderful honor, and all of a sudden, he's got to parade Mordecai through town, holding the reins of this horse, and proclaiming, this is how the king wants to treat it, somebody that he wants to honor. Man, could you imagine? It's crazy. And then, so Mordecai gets honored, and Esther has her chance in the banquet to reveal Haman's evil plot to exterminate the Jews. And then that just, you know, it, it really goes bad. The king gets so mad, right? Esther names Haman. He gets so he just storms out. He has to take a walk. And all of a sudden, Haman starts begging uh, um, Esther for help and for mercy. Hey, please, you, you, can't, you can't do this to me. And all of a sudden, the king, the king comes walking back, and all of a sudden, they fall over, and, and they, they've fallen over into um, to Esther's bed. And all of a sudden, uh, the king thinks that Haman is, is trying to take advantage of Esther. And, and then, so he is executed right away. And all of a sudden, that plot is incredibly stopped right there. And then there's an interesting shift that happens somewhere middle of chapter 8 or chapter 9 where there's an, an abrupt refocus. And really, now that I think about it, I was looking through my notes this afternoon, it's probably better put that there's an abrupt um, change in focus. Now, when we read the book of Esther, because it's named Esther, our mind automatically focuses on the girl. Even though chapter one, it's about the king, it's about Vashti and all those things, we know that it's a setup to Esther, and all this time our focus is on Esther. And then all of a sudden, somewhere mid-chapter nine, the focus really changes, and this book concludes focused on Mordecai. Look at chapter 10 real quick. So chapter 10, now I understand that the, chapter, um, uh, the chapters and verses, uh, they're, they're, not, they're not divinely inspired, but I do believe God had his hand in it. And chapter 10 is a short chapter of just three verses. And it ends this way, obviously very focused upon Mordecai. Chapter 10, verse 1. And the king Ahasuerus laid a tribute upon the land and upon the isles of the sea, and all the acts of the power of his might, and the declaration of the greatness of Mordecai, whereunto the king advanced them. Are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was next unto king Ahasuerus, and great among the Jews, and accepted of the multitude of his brethren, seeking the wealth of his people, and speaking peace to all his seed. Now, during the pa pandemic, can we just be real human beings here? Wasn't Disney Plus a lifesaver, right? During the quarantine, goodness gracious, we wore that thing out. And, uh, and I told you, I mean, I just, I, I, I love theater. I'm a, I'm a bit of a, I'm a theater nerd. I'm a theater kid. And uh, I, there is, there happened to be a musical that streamed. I won't name it, lest you judge me. If you know what it is and you enjoyed it as well, tell me so we can judge each other. All right. And, uh, but I, but I enjoy Broadway musicals and there's one in particular and, and the name of it um, is, is a little bit deceiving in which it follows a single character, right? But at the end, now then you wonder, wait, who was this story really about? You thought it was about the guy, but all of a sudden it closes very strongly with the focus upon the wife. And wait, so who was it? There's that change in focus, and who was it actually all about? And it's really, really abrupt. And there's and people, the director and the writer and the actors, you, you tell them, wait, so who is the story actually about? Is it his story? Is it her story? And they won't tell you. It's, it's up to you. And it's the same type of thing. The name of the book is Esther. It's mostly all about Esther until things shift. And then right there, chapter 9, in a small chapter, it's about Mordecai. Huh. Just an abrupt change in focus. And that's kind of like how life is, right? When you start off in that dating, right, as a, um, those of you who are couples and you're in that dating stage and 
and it's awkward and you're just trying to impress them, right? And maybe the stories are a little bit bigger than they, than they really are, right? And then you progress and you get engaged and, and all those things and now you think they're stuck and you let yourself go. No, I'm just kidding. And then you, uh, you get married and it's all about, you know, what, what you can do before, before kids come and then, and then kids come and then all of a sudden, now you know what, the first kid, man, you're careful with everything. You, you, uh, you sanitize everything. And if you're like us by fourth kid, it's just dirt, you know, it is just dirt, it's okay, right? I mean, just all these different things, and, and then you go into the teenage years, and, and you look forward to the return of Christ more, and then, uh, and then things, things shift, right? And all of a sudden, they grow up, and they grow a brain, and, and all of a sudden, as what we're enjoying now is the kids are all in, they're, they're in college, and, and we get to enjoy these adult conversations and stuff that's rational and logical, right, and, and spiritual, and it's amazing. All these different things as things just kind of refocus and shift and change in focus, and, and those things can get exhausting just trying to figure out life, because when you feel like you figured out that part of life, all of a sudden you're moving over to another stage, right? And these things can just be really difficult to, to manage, but we just, we keep, we keep at it, and we keep learning, and we get counsel, we stay close to God, and there's these abrupt changes in focus. What a script, what a story. And our script is interesting as well. I wouldn't, it's not a soap opera by any means, all right? There's a whole lot of comedy of errors in it, right? And there's some, some trial and error, there's some different things. But God has been good through it all. And there's portions of the script that I would never write into. And, and to be honest, I couldn't say that I would be willing to relive them. Wouldn't want to go back to certain seasons and deep, dark, painful seasons in life. But on this side of it, I am thankful for it. And I can see God's hand divinely controlling the details so he can use me in a way that I would have never, ever imagined. I grew up in San Diego, California, America's finest city. Amen? I like the Chargers. A part of me died when they moved to Los Angeles, but I couldn't stay mad at him, you know, for very long. I'm a Padre fan. I love fish tacos, and I like my winters to be 70 degrees, right? That's San Diego. My wife is from Santa Fe, New Mexico. Couldn't be any different. Santa Fe, New Mexico. New Mexico, the, the, also known as the land of enchantment, right? New Mexico, also known as the armpit of America. Amen? Right? Have you ever been to New Mexico? If you're from New Mexico, it, I, I don't mean any offense by that, but it's, it's New Mexico, right? And it's, there, there's beautiful parts in Mexico, and, and Santa, Fe, Santa Fe is beautiful as well, right? But there's just a lot of it that's just New Mexico, all right? And so we met in Bible college, and we couldn't be more different than each other. God brought us together, and, uh, um, and we, we got married while we were still in Bible college and had our, uh, had our first son while I was a senior in, uh, um, in Bible college. So we got a little earlier start uh, than most, but I'm thankful for it on this end. Um, I feel like as my, teen, my, my, uh, my kids became teenagers, I wasn't so old, too old and out of it. Now, they would tell you different, but I feel like, you know, I was still, you know, I was still young enough and hip enough, right? But I, I know I'm not. But, uh, uh, but, you know, as things continue to progress on uh, uh, through that. But then we had a first change of focus while we were in college and started in ministry in my senior year in Bible college when I first took a position as a youth pastor. Um, and at first, when we started dating, our, our burden was for missions. And we, dr we dreamed about going into missions. And the pastor of this church it, it, um, asked me to consider taking this position as youth pastor. There was a need. So they're, they're scraping the bottom of the, battle, the barrel. And I was very honest. I said, hey, um, I, I don't think um, I'd be here for more than a year. I want to go back to my home church and, and be a missions intern. And we're going to go be missionaries. So if you're okay with the year, says, hey, okay, yeah, I'll take a year. And then 18 years later, I was still in youth ministry. But that was the first change in focus after a while we just started to, we just loved teens and we loved every pretty much every bit of youth ministry and then we started to be at peace with the fact that hey you know God wants us in youth ministry and so there's a change in focus from missions to youth ministry and then we had a second change of focus My, our oldest son JJ and they're, they're not here tonight and that's kind of by de de design um, just so I could speak a little bit more openly about it at about nine months of age we noticed that he started doing this. 
started doing this. And of course, we knew it wasn't natural. He was our first child, so we didn't realize that a lot of his development was very delayed, was a little bit slower than most, than most children. He started doing this, took him to the neurologist, found that he was having infantile spasms. And it was, it was something that we, we then it took us on a journey of trying to control the, the seizures with medication, things like that. And the doctor was very clear these types of, uh, of seizures are, are doing damage in the brain. And so it came to a point where they couldn't control it, that he was a, a candidate for a brain surgery to, to literally remove the portion of the brain that was the seizures were coming from. We were in the, the hospital at UCLA, UCLA Medical Center, and they wanted to capture the seizure. And they had him hooked up to all these electrodes, all these different things. And all of a sudden, the seizures just stopped. We were at peace and willing to go forward with the brain seizure, with the brain surgery, and all of a sudden the seizures just stopped. Unhooked them, everything, we went home, and we knew that there would be some developmental delay, but we didn't realize the journey that God had started and written for us. And as he grew, realized he had autism, had, that, had its own complications, and, and navigating that was truly a challenge. The Bible doesn't tell us how to discipline those types of, those kinds of children, right? And then so we had to sort through uh, many different kinds of advice, and there's, there's a the way of thinking. There's some that says, hey, well, the Bible doesn't tell us that you should uh, discipline your children any different than your regular children, and so I was committed to that. Hey, and, you know, spare not the rod, right? And, and so we disciplined in a way that really now on this side of it, I realized it was just completely inappropriate for JJ. It was. We didn't know what we were doing. We are just trying our very best read as many books as we could, sought, sought some counsel, and, and of course poured over the scriptures, and the scriptures doesn't tell us what to do. On this side of it now, I realize, okay, you know what? It's not the same as the other children. It's not the same. And then later in life, I started to realize, you know, the effects that it had on our other children. Now, we never wanted to, uh, to burden them with, with JJ's care, but at the same time, it was taking a toll to where you get to know JJ, and uh, if, if you talk to, it, it's just all awkward. It's all VeggieTales. That's kind of why I'm locked into VeggieTales. He's 23 years old, 24 years old, six foot four, 250. You usually see, a, um, see my wife and, and, uh, and JJ sitting in the back just because we don't want to be a distraction. And if you try to uh, have a, engage him, and you're more than welcome to if you're, if you're, comfor if you're not comfortable, honestly, it, it's okay. Um, and then he'll just come up with something random. You could talk about the weather. He'll say something about VeggieTales. Um, he, he, may, he may just tell you that the dirt is on the ground, right? Just random stuff. He's just on a different plane of reality, so to speak. And, and not everybody's comfortable with that. And so that just made it a very complicated for us in ministry. Not everybody's comfortable. We could see the discomfort. We didn't want to be a distraction in church, all these different things. We, we always try to strategically place ourselves um, where um, if he's whispering or making sounds or verbalizing or something like that, that he won't be a distraction. Sometimes he'll get up and just randomly get up and, 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 and go. It, it's just been a challenge for us to figure those things out. But somewhere along the way, I realized the toll it was taking on our kids. It just, as we'd have to, we'd, we'd try to do family time, we realized, you know, JJ is taking all of the attention and really we're not socializing with JJ. Whenever JJ is around, he dominates the whole social experience. And so we weren't spending time with the kids as they would need to be. I feel like we caught it a little bit late, but we did catch it. And we took some, uh, took some, uh, uh, made some adjustments in life and, and just tried our very best. And so our focus, another change in focus there was from thinking of raising a special needs child to raising a special needs family. So here's the thing, usually, in a family with a special needs child, the whole family has special needs. That's something to be aware of. It's really tiring, especially on the mom. Right now, with, if you know autistic uh, um, people, they, uh, they, they need structure right? They, they need their nor normalcy, their uh, things that are regular. And if you, if you mess with their system, they, they can be agitated. And, and so right now, JJ has no problems coming to church. It's a blessing because we came to church one time, there was an In-N-Out truck. We came to church another time, there were tacos. Now we come to church at 8.30, there's donuts. It is just a party around here. And JJ, I love that. That's not a problem getting to church, right? But when we're at home, for us, home, Irvine, me and my wife, no problem. Even our kids, they're in Florida right now. They know their, their home address is, 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 in, is in Irvine. But for JJ, he still wants to go home. And so for, for him right now, he's not selling. He can't sleep. 
He's typically up very, very late. And so, I mean, we're just tired. And, and honestly, I don't, I don't say that to, to make you feel sorry for me. I was just exhausted, right? But just to be aware of people and their special needs, if they're raising a special needs child, more than likely, the whole family has special needs as well. It just takes a little bit of extra care. And so, um, when I asked Pastor Thompson for an opportunity to give our testimony, because I, I wanted to explain, you know, we're not sitting in a corner because we're being anti, anti-social or, or, or avoiding anybody. We're just, we just don't want to be a distraction. And so when, if you may be close to us and he'll whisper and stuff like that, or maybe verbalize, forget how to whisper, and all of a sudden, and it's not because he's disrespectful, it's just that's, you know, that's what he does, right? And we'll, we'll, we'll try our best. And, and you never know who God is going to bring into our midst as a church family. When, uh, when we were first looking for a church after I had um, resigned from ministry, and I'll, I'll talk about that here real quick in a minute, and we were visiting a, uh, a church, and, and we, we, we were able to sit in the back, and JJ just started, started getting agitated, and he was waving his hands, and he was rocking back and forth and just started to whisper, just talk about random stuff. And, and, and then the lady that was sitting in the row ahead of us turned and scowled at JJ. And understand me, he's, he's 20 three, 24. There's, there's, there's no physical markers in a sense for him. And so more than like, I'm sure she just made the assumption that here's this, you know, this, uh, this 20 year old punk that's just being disrespectful in church. I do. I get it. So she turned and scowled. And so she, we got up during the service and tried to move over. We were able to do that inconspicuously, but at the same time, let's, let's try to just be aware of people. I mean, for us, that's, that didn't change. We, would, we, we didn't think anything of it, no, not offended by the church. We'd have no problem visiting that church ever again. But we're church people, right? You, we never know why somebody came to church. You never know. What if we weren't church people? That might have ruined church for us for the rest of our lives, Right? We just, you just never know if somebody, especially a family with a special needs child, it's awkward, it's difficult. If they dare come in here, there's a reason they're here. And it's an opportunity for us as a church family to show the love of Christ and show much grace and, and show that they are loved here and they can find a place and it, it takes some extra care and some extra effort, but it can be done. It can be done. And so we had a, a definitely a de- shift in thinking, just not about a special needs child, but a special needs family. And then I was set up to climb. Spent 18 years as a youth pastor. In my 18th year, as we were getting ready to transition, my very last missions trip, um, we told a missions trip story about, um, about Marquise there. In the very last missions trip, um, a drowning occurred in Ocean Shores, Washington. One of my teenagers, obviously a teenager under my care, um, drowned in a, in, a, in a rip current, and uh, body was never recovered. A young man that I loved like one of my own, and, but it happened on my watch, and I kept telling myself that. It happened on my watch. And, and there, was, there, was, there, was, there was nothing, um, it, was, it was his appointment, but I, I, just, I just couldn't get over it. I couldn't stop being sad about it. I missed him immensely, but then these thoughts of failing him and failing his family and failing my youth group and failing the church just overwhelmed me, and I battled those thoughts as much as I could, and, and honestly, I was walking with God at the time and, 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 and serving God, and all of a sudden, this thing hit me, and I couldn't get up. I was down at the bottom, and all of a sudden the panic attacks occurred. This morning I mentioned there was a time if, if I even smelled the ocean, I would go into a panic. I would get nauseated. Um, there was a time, and I know my family, my, my wife loves the ocean. There was a couple years ago, we were just walking through Santa Monica, and we're hitting food stops and all these things, and I'm just a couple blocks away, and I knew my wife just wanted to get out there and see the pier, and she, she just asked me, are, are you okay? I said, I, I think I am. And so we crossed, crossed the street, and I, already, I, could, I could smell the ocean, right? And I got over there and just kind of leaned on that, that wood railing, and she saw that I was not okay. And we stood there as long as I could and had to get across the other, the, other, the other side of the street. So just a few years ago, I couldn't listen to the ocean waves. I couldn't smell the ocean. I couldn't look at the sand without being sent into a panic or just deep, deep grief. 
I was down there as low as I felt and anybody can go wondering if I was broken beyond repair, but I wasn't. I was set up to climb. I was set up to climb. And so you know what I did? I started to claw out. But here's the thing I realized. Biblically, I wasn't meant to do this by myself. And we, we get this, we, we assume that, oh, just, a, just me and God, all you need is Jesus. Well, on the practical level, everyone who's telling me that, you just need God, you just need Jesus, you need to give it to God. What does that even mean? Would somebody please tell me what that means? As best as I can, I'm giving it to God. And I'm dying here. And I just took a closer look at Scripture. And you know what? I'm supposed to let other people bear my burdens. I'm supposed to cry out for help. There's a reason God gave me the church. There's a, there's a reason that God gave me spiritual leaders and mentors because, you know what, as I'm clawing, trying to claw my way out of there, I certainly need somebody on the other side of it to help pull me up. I wasn't going to get out of that pit by myself. I needed somebody else to help me. And that's Bible. That's Bible. I was set up all of a sudden to climb. And so God changed focus again. And then I just posted, a, I, 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 after four years of battling this thing of depression and anxiety, and I had a panic attack right before Sunday school, my, my biggest fear is that I would have a panic attack in front of people, in the nature of my ministry. I'm a preacher, I'm a teacher, I, 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 I do music, I'm always in front of people. And I feared that it would happen in front of people. It happened too close for comfort. One day I resigned from the ministry, had to take a step of faith. All, all I know is ministry. And so I, I drove Uber, I delivered groceries, and, and God provided, God provided. Somewhere along the way, I posted on Facebook that I had struggled with depression. I just said, you know what, let's, let's be done with this thing. Let's, I'm done hiding this thing. I'm done with this. There shouldn't be a stigma. That, it shouldn't be like this. And, and I just, just from this one simple post, two pastors contacted me and asked me about considering speaking on the subject. And one of those pastors was Pastor Ryan Thompson. And I said, I sure would love to. I just don't know if I could be at the pulpit again. I said, we'll pray about it. And if you will, we'll talk again in a couple months. And, and if you feel comfortable, let, let's do it. I, 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 I know you could help our people. I know you could help a lot of people. And Pastor Ryan Thompson was just instrumental. And we did our very first Mental Health Sunday in October of 2019. It was kind of a bit of a soft launch. I did want to help people. I didn't know if there was a market for it. Uh, I knew that I, even uh, along the way as I, I would post about a depression, there was some resistance to it, right? I knew there would be. And uh, some people, uh, as I would, said that we needed, to, we needed to do better as independent Baptists, right? As Christians, we needed to do better. And, and there were people that didn't appreciate us, appreciate me calling out our movement, so to speak. Says, hey, man, if we could do better as Christians, let's do better, amen? Let's grow. That's okay. Let's, let's do better. Let's not be satisfied with, with mediocrity or even worse than that, right? So, so there's certainly that element of, of, uh, of resistance to anything that, that talks bad about our movement. I'm so done with that. Let's grow. Let's get better. Let's seek Jesus. Let's learn what the Word of God says about every aspect of our life, including our pain. You understand? The Word of God says much more about our pain than just trust Him. It does. But because we don't know, we just revert to these cliches. And so we did that first Mental Health Sunday, and so many of you folks were so kind, and you probably don't remember, but it stands out to me, and we were in that foyer, me and my wife, and, and there was just this line of people. And it came to a point where Brother Doug had to rush people along. I don't know, you probably don't remember Brother Doug, but he says, hey, I need you to, hey, there's other people who want to talk. And, and then just from that being posted online, I asked God for six meetings in 2020. We got to those six meetings like that. That was easy. God just did it. Then the pandemic hit. Then I had some meetings canceled, all right? And, but God's people were so good. But as bad as 2020 was, it was the perfect time to start a mental health ministry. <laughs> it was the perfect storm for it. Because people started to really struggle. Why? Because in a lot of ways, we made the cure worse than the disease. Right? Yes, I, we, we, we need to be healthy, but also that includes our emotional and spiritual health. And we are designed to be social creatures. 
And the more we quarantine, right, the more we isolate ourselves, the worse it is on us emotionally, mentally, spiritually. We are designed for connection and for relationships. That's why God set up the family. You see it in the Jewish nation. And now God has set up the church to be a family, a place to belong to, a place that we're to be together and one another. That's the whole concept of the church. And so as people really started to struggle and pastors reached out, and I asked God for six meetings, we ended up doing 24 meetings in 2020. It was amazing. But there's our complication. That's really hard on my wife and JJ for me to be gone that much. It was just too much. And I wanted to help people so badly. But I knew I had to scale back. And we made the decision, okay, you know what? I'm just going to do six, seven, eight meetings. That's, that's the most that we can handle. That means more Uber, more Instacart shopping. I'm a foodie. I love grocery shopping anyway. So if you're going to pay me to get your groceries, I'm down. You know, it was good. It was a blessing. And it, and it helped make ends meet, right? I was totally content. I wasn't mad at God for it, but I just couldn't do more than that. I'll drive Uber. I could talk to Jesus, talk, talk, about, talk about Jesus to people. And God opened a lot of doors in that sense. And then I had a conversation with Pastor Ryan Thompson. He, he asked me to pray about something. And he was very clear that he was all for our ministry, The Climb. And he was willing if, to consider this position and joining the staff team, but also to be able to continue The Climb and that I would have the freedom to be out preaching, guess how many meetings? Six to eight meetings per year. That's divine intervention. I could preach those six to eight meetings a year and be back in church ministry, which is what I love, and not have to drive Uber, <laughs> not have to deliver groceries, Just go get my own groceries, amen? And God did those things for us. What a script he's written. And now seeing that he's in all these details is amazing. Folks, I hope the takeaway is this. You can keep trusting God. Your story's not done. The story isn't over if the story isn't good. You may know that song. It's not over. Your story is continually being written. And at the very end, no matter how ugly it is right now, at the very end, I can promise you with 100% certainty, the story will be beautiful. Because I know God. And you do too. And so hang in there. Just hang in there. You may feel like I did. Just You're just hanging in by clawing out, right? But that story is going to be beautiful. I promise you. Let God write the script. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.